0: Let us turn back to the portion we've read. And we have read in the first epistle, General of Peter, and chapter 2. And we want to center our attention on words, verses 23 and 24. Verses 22 to 24. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on a tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And particularly the words that you find at the beginning of verse 24 in their context, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Now these words can be read as follows Who his own self on his own comforters found in none, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree or to the tree can be translated either way or both towards the tree or on the tree. and we want to look at it as follows bearing in mind he bare our sins he carried our sins is the sense he carried them towards the tree and on the tree as follows in the following order first of all The burden that he carried. And then we're going to note the bearing of our sins. There's three thoughts come into that. First of all, the lifting of the burden onto his own shoulders. Secondly, the carrying of that burden towards the cross. And then the carrying away of the sins of his people on the cross. So that there are four thoughts. The nature of the burden that he bore. The lifting up of that burden onto his own shoulders. The carrying of that burden towards the cross. The carrying away of that burden on the cross. And in that order First then, the burden that he bore. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body towards the tree. The sins of his people was what he bore. That was the burden. An infinitely heavy burden. As the holiness of God is an infinite height, so our sins against, the the, the holiness against which we have transgressed is an infinite height, so our sins are an infinite deep. And likewise, we can speak of the burden here as an infinitely heavy burden, an infinite weight. When one becomes convicted of sin, whether it's initial, the initial stage of your Christian life or ongoingly in your life, you can experience the heaviness of the burden of sin. The psalmist speaks in Psalm 38 and verse 6 of the transgression being a weight so so heavy that he couldn't carry it. I can't remember the words, but can look them up, uh, paraphrasing them, he found that weight beyond his ability. But that was minuscule in comparison with the weight that the Son of God bore when he carried the sins of his own people towards the tree and on the tree. When we experience conviction of sin, well, we find comforters. But Christ could say of his burden, comforters found I none. He stood alone. He bore it in his own passion alone, towards the tree, and on the tree. And then secondly, there is the lifting up of this burden onto his own shoulders. And that occurred at the point of conception. The moment that he, the nature that was prepared by God the Father, the body that was prepared by God the Father. The Holy Spirit, in a supernatural creative way, supernatural creative power, created in the womb of Mary that human nature. And at the very moment that that nature is created, simultaneously, the Son of God took that nature to himself in the womb of Mary. So that the one who was born of her in the process of time, nine months, the usual, was more than mere man, spoken of as the Holy One thing he is God and man in two distinct natures, and one person forever. This is the view of the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the reformed catechisms of the 16th century that he became a sin bearer from the moment of conception in the womb of Mary. We must remember that he is bringing forth the righteousness that the righteousness of God requires of him to require of his people because of their transgressions. And that righteousness was Everything that was required of us in Adam before he fell, all the obedience that was required of us in Adam before he fell, and the penalty that was required of us in Adam having fallen. We don't know how long Adam remained unfallen, but whether it was long or short, The righteousness that he had accrued in the state of his unfallenness was nullified the moment that he sinned, the moment that he fell. Catechism puts it, we sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. So that Christ must bring forth that righteousness that was required of us in Adam before he fell, as well as the penalty
1: having fallen.
0: The question arises, did he take fallen nature to himself? And the answer must be no. Because although he Is the second Adam. He did not partake of Adam's guilt. He did not partake of what the catechism speaks of the want of original righteousness. He did not partake of our sinfulness. He remains the sinless one. but he did not partake of our fallen natures. He is the unfallen husband who identifies closely with the fallen bride. He is the one who, although he knew no sin in himself, was made to be sin for us. He is the one who has spoken of us being made in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness, but not sinful flesh himself. Boston speaks of the fourfold estate, Well, this is a unique passion. This is a unique estate. It's like a fifth estate. He identifies with us, but he does not partake of that fallen nature. He remains the sinless one, while carrying this burden and being made sin at the last, what about the, thirdly the carrying of this burden towards the tree? Well, you can give some. We can give some examples of it. First of all, that he took the, na- the that he 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 in taking our nature in becoming man, he could have he could have taken a glorious nature to himself, but no, he took to himself our nature that would be subject to death, and that is part part of this. Being uh, being a sin bearer in a Roman place, you could say also he was um, a sin bearer uh, in these days towards the, towards the cross, in the sense that um, he was in a sin he he was in a cursed environment. Not just in a sinful, but an environment that was cursed. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In that sinful environment he entered. We read of him also in the verse just before us, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Well he was standing in the Roman place of his people there. Which of us can say that we have never spoken a sharp word? A reviling word, maybe even. Well, he stood in the Roman place of his people there as a sin bearer. He who reviled not, you see, the perfect obedience that's there. So that we can, when we sin, that sin. Go to him in the spirit of contrition and seek mercy and obtain mercy, because he has carried that as well. And, of course, as the sin-bearer, there is the crucifixion. There, sin's laid upon him. But that brings us on, fourthly, the carrying away of the burden of his people on the cross. And when you you come to that point, he continues the sin-bearer from the moment of conception right up until he's able to say, Into thine hands I commit my spirit. Is the sin-bearer all the way? But there's an intensity in the sin-bearing that comes in particularly in the cross and particularly in the three years of darkness on the cross that I believe Scripture speaks of as being made sin. Being made sin. Some take the view that that happened even in Gethsemane. I take the view, but I share it, I leave it with you as a view for you to meditate upon. That the being made sin, was in the three hours of darkness on the cross. On all other occasions throughout his life, and including Gethsemane itself at the last, he experienced the comfort of the Lord. There were times when he met the oppositions and contradictions of sinners, but you find him going out at the, at an, in an evening and at night and going into a mountain, and often on his own, and engaging in prayer with the Father. And there was a compensating comfort, comfort, um, fellowship and comfort there that was making up, as it were, making up in a measure for what he was meeting. And even in Gethsemane, at the last... Well, even beyond the last, there was the minister, ministering angel. We don't know what form the comfort took, but undoubtedly there was comfort that was ministered to him there, even on the, in Gethsemane. Comfort to enable him to go forward to the sufferings that he was anticipating there in the, in, in Gethsemane, and which would become actual on the cross. But on the cross, well, even in, the, even in the beginning of the cross, you're not yet into the point where, it's, even at the, even in the, be, in the beginning of the cross, the measure of comfort it. is there. Then the thief who sought the way to heaven at the last, to whom he could say, Today, this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And there was the, the comfort that he was that he experienced there in that thief being converted. But when you come to the three hours of darkness, comfort is found i none. And that is why the view that I'm putting to you today is that he was made sin, particularly in these three hours of darkness, when he entered into. Sufferings are knowable to us, but we cannot we cannot we cannot plumb the depth of them, and we cannot scale the height of them, if you wish. They are immeasurable. And we could spend a lot of time on the detail, but there's two aspects particularly of that sin-bearing. The wrath of God. And the curse of God that he experienced there. I don't know clearly how to distinguish between these two. But the curse of God, particularly, it's it's a the Hebrew word is there, it's the same word as the word for blessed. But they're the very opposite, nevertheless, of one another. To be blessed is to be brought into the comfort and fellowship of God. That's what it will be for his people at the last. Come ye blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. But to be cursed is the very opposite of that. It would be that awesome pronouncement. Depart, ye kushit. Come, ye blessed. Depart, ye kushit. So that in that kushit, he experienced the equivalent. Not, I'm picking that word deliberately, the equivalent of the hell of his people, of the damnation of his people. I say equivalent because he did did not experience despair, and that will be a part of the hell of his people. But the equivalent, nevertheless, because the anguish and the pain that was there was at least equivalent to the hell of his people. The wrath of God. The psalmist speaks of who can measure that wrath. That wrath against sin... wounded for his people's transgressions, bruised, bruised under that wrath for their iniquities. But the Kush particularly, in that class he entered into the equivalent of the damnation of his own, and that's where there are the sufferings and sufferings of his soul, not just the sufferings of his body, intense as they were—scourging, spiking of his head with the crown of thorns, and so on—all part of the sufferings. But here, in bearing the curse, the sense of the. Loss of the conscious comfort of the Father's presence. That which had been meat and drink to him throughout his life from all eternity. That, the conscious comfort of that was lost to him in this. The Father, as the judge was pouring upon him, the wrath, the curse of Due to his people as transgressors. Wasn't his own sin, he had none. But he was bearing my sin, your sin, believer, that wrath and that curse. So that to his people there will never be departed, but rather come ye blessed. And you see that carrying the downward in deep minded sink bearing our sin. And you see the carrying away of that sin, and that he is the scapegoat, the type of the scapegoat, enters into the land of far distances, bearing the sin of his people, bearing the guilt of his people. And as it were, laying down that guilt, that sin, in a place where it cannot be found. That is the believer. Oh, that's the believer. Come for My sin cannot be found. It has been born. It has been carried away into the land of far distances. It cannot be found. And that's why there is healing accrued to my soul. That is why he is the shepherd and bishop towards my soul now. And as we sit at the table here today, we do so to remember the death of the one who stood in my Roman place. May the Lord bless to us, meditation in His Word. Let us further. Let us pray first of all. Our gracious God, thou that spared not thine own Son, but gave him up for us all, how shalt thou not with him also freely give us all things? May the wonder that this was the thought in the mind of the triune God from all eternity pressing and bruising on my soulless day, that as I am called upon to partake of the remembrances, the representations of that death, that accursed death in my Roman place, I will be filled with love towards him.
1: The wonder
0: that he should love such as I am, to that extent. The Father, the wonder that the Father should not spare him. The wonder that the Holy Spirit upheld him, to enable him to enter to the full, into all that was entailed, in bearing and in bearing away my sins. We thank Thee for the promises that were given to him from all eternity. That referred to in the prophecy of Isaiah, Behold my servant, for he was thy servant in our Roman place. Behold my servant whom I uphold, whom I will uphold. We thank Thee that that upholding was there of him on that accursed tree, upheld so that he was unable to enter into the exquisitenesses of all these sufferings and pain and anguish that was entailed. To the fool, that he was unable to drink of the cup of wrath, that he has left nothing undone, that he could say it is finished, Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity, passes by the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance, who does not retain anger, but who delights in mercy? We marvel that at the same time as he was bearing that wrath of curse, he was the object of the Father's love. Where he grew in favor with God and man. And that favor was in the obedience that he, toward, towards the obedience that he rendered. And that obedience reached its height. And therefore the favor of God reached its height, if we can speak like that of the deity. But it was never, it was, it, it is expressed towards us in a way that it could never be expressed any other way, in its height and depth and length and breadth. And so we pray that thou would help us to partake of the all that is represented in the broken bread and the shed wine, to the glory and honor of thy holy name, and to the good of our never-dying souls this day. We ask these things in his name. We have no other plea. Amen. (coughs) Let
1: us sing in Psalm
0: 40. And verses 6 through to 8 no sacrifice nor offering didst thou at all desire. Mine ears, thou bored, sin offering, thou unburnt, didst not require. Through to verse 8 to do thy will, I, do delight, I take delight, O thou, my God, the dark, Yea, that most holy law of thine I have within my heart. No sacrifice nor offering. Oh, <coughs> son <coughs> Of the service that you speak of as the fencing of the table. Now, the fencing of the table is basically to speak of who should be at the table and who ought not to be at the table of the Lord. Ultimately, it is God Himself who knows that. There may well be those sitting at the table who ought not to be. And there may be those who are not sitting at it who ought to be. That is no excuse for any who is outside of the table who ought to be there, that they are not here. To worship and to give thanks to the Lord of glory who stood in your Roman place. Well, it is, as I said, it is God alone who knows. And when we come to fencing the table, all we can do is to commend to ourselves self-examination. That is what the Lord himself says to us in 1 Corinthians 13. The man, well, whatever, whatever portion, uh, let a man examine himself. So let him eat. Yes, in 1 Corinthians 11. How do I examine myself? Well, our relationship to the law must be a major part of that self-examination. The law, as it's set before us in the Ten Commandments, the law, as it's set before us in the Sermon on the Mount, the law, as it's set before us in the Epistles to the Churches, and in other portions of Scripture as well. But the law, as it bears upon the life of of my life, not just outwardly, not just in my actions, not just in my words, not just in my thoughts, wandering as these are, but in the intents and motives of my heart. The Lord is saying, give me your heart. Let these motives be governed in such a way as to honor me at all times. And as we make our pilgrimage through life, as the professing people of the Lord, we, we, are going to be, we must be like a ship on Kush. And when the ship is on course, there are two... There are reefs as it were on both sides there's a reef on that side and a reef on that side and the danger of making shipwreck on either side there's the reef of antinomianism the antinomian is one who says i have been saved by the blood of christ And I'm going to say to an everlasting salvation, I can live the way I like. And you can hear you saying, oh, well, I'm safe for that. I'm not guilty of that. But are we? Or are we not? Do I look at the law as it bears upon my motives, as I ought? Perfect obedience that is required of us? Do I examine the catechism? Do I examine the law, the, the, the larger catechism in the required, in the how it, how it speaks of the requirement made upon us in the Ten Commandments? Or do I set a standard of decency for myself? A, low, a lower standard. And by that standard, go on in my life and give myself good marks, as it were, and say, well, I'm no antinomian. When you do measure it like that, it comes close to us. The motives and intents of the heart in doing the will of God as it's expressed in his Word. Can any of us say, I am guiltless? And then there's the reef on the other side. That's called legalism. That's the person who says, I keep the law. I keep the law such as he he thinks he's keeping the law as well, at at least we've just noticed what the requirements of the law is. I keep the law, he says, and he preens himself on that. He thinks that he's earning the way to heaven by his own works. Maybe that is a less dangerous reef, I don't know, but it is a danger. The danger that would be expressed in when we see other sinning, that we may take a contemptuous look at them, rather than there but for the grace of God go away. So when you measure yourself on that one, who can say that he's not guiltless? who can say in the other one, that is not good. We remain sinners. Redeemed sinners by the grace of God, yes. But there will be a prayer in your life. Well, it's expressed in Psalm 139, for example. Search me and know if there be any wicked way in me. Let the Lord show you yourself as to whether you're an antinomian or whether you're a legalist. Let him show you yourself by his spirit through the truth. Bring yourself under that word. Seek to be brought under that word and its authority and majesty. That's one one way of it. Another way is the Psalm, Psalm 17. Another prayer that should be there. Hold up my goings. Lord, me guide in those thy paths divine. I find myself going wrong that way. I find myself going wrong that way. Where else can I go? Hold up my goings. Lord, me guide. And there will be repentance ongoingly in the life of the believer. And there will be, as he comes to Christ with that prayer, either of these prayers or others, And experiencing of the mercy of God also. Ongoingly, you confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And may the Lord enable us to steer that course. By his own help. Day by day. Moment by moment. Let us sing in Psalm 118 from verse 15 and we'll sing a few verses. And as we sing, the elders will bring forward the elements to the table. In dwellings of the righteous is heard the melody of joy and health. The Lord's right hand ever valiantly. We'll read, sing at least to verse 18. And further, if the elements are not brought to the table by then in dwellings of the righteous that we have been speaking about. This is the gate of God, by it the just shall enter in. And we shall sing at least three verses. This is the gate of God, by it the just shall enter in. It is to the Lord himself that we must look for a warrant for the dispensation of this sacrament. And we find that warrant in his word, particularly in the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. First letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11. Verse 20, 23, notice how Paul says, I have received of the Lord. It wasn't something that he invented himself, something that's given of the Lord, a warrant comes from the Lord himself. Verse 23, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed... Bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New <clears throat> Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye. As oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the with the world, and so on. Particularly these words from 23 to 29, our warrant" is from the Lord Himself, and we note that in the night that He ordained this. to be held through the generations, he gave thanks. And let us seek to follow his example. Let us pray. What more couldst thou have done than thou hast done? Sparing not thine own son, the darling of thy bosom, giving him up for wicked sinners such as I am. What more could the Son of God have done than he has done? Not only in taking our nature but in that nature. Meeting the requirements of thy holy justice upon me to the uttermost. that that access should be now made for me in his name and merits, even unto thy throne room, with petitions, with supplications, with prayers, yes, and with confessions also. We thank thee that though we come short, he never comes short in his word, in his faithfulness and in the tenderness of his mercy, And what more could the Holy Spirit have done than he has done? As the sent one to enter into the stable of my heart with all the filthiness of sin that still remains and to speak of it this is my rest here still I stay, for I do like it well. We pray that they would be finding in our hearts this day a responsive cord of love and thanks towards thee. We pray that thou would help us at this time to set aside bread and the wine from their normal and regular practice, to be representative of the body and shed blood of our Saviour. We pray that we might hear thy voice speaking to us. That the eye of faith might be opened to behold the Lamb of God. We pray that the ear of faith might be opened to hear Thine own gracious words. Take it. This is my body broken for you. We pray that Thou would enable us to renew our vows to Thee. We pray that Thou would make us more dependent upon grace the purchase grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that thou would help us to know thy presence. Prepare us for all that is thy will for us. Receive us with the pardon of sin. Amen. read in psalm 45 psalm 45 and verse 13 these words the king's daughter is all glorious within her clothing is of wrought gold What a beautiful name to give to the church. The daughter of the king. And the whole psalm here speaks of a marriage. Not only is she spoken of as the daughter of the king, but as the bride of Christ. And she's spoken of as being all glorious within. All glorious within because a radical transformation has occurred in your life, believers, happened to the moment of rebirth, the moment of regeneration. You were made a new creation. You were given new desires that were never there before. Desires to serve God out of a sense of indebtedness. What shall we render to the Lord for all His goodness to us? A desire for fellowship with the Lord, to worship Him, to know Him, to have a relationship with Him. You are a new creation. And not only is there beauty given to you through the miracle of regeneration, not only beauty of character, but a new status also. Her clothing is of wrought gold. That speaks of your status, your standing in Christ. Your standing is the standing that has been. The righteousness that he has brought forth in his life and death Imputed to you, put to your account, that God looks upon you in Christ as having a perfect standing with that righteousness accounted to you. That is your title to glory, and that title that you that you received when you closed in with Christ by faith cannot be taken away from you you have been justified in the moment of closing in with Christ with a perfect justification and if you were to live for a million years beyond that righteousness cannot be improved upon it's a perfect righteousness it's a perfect standing it's a perfect title the status remains the same the beauty of the characters to do with your sanctification that's what happens sanctification has begun in the moment of regeneration that must grow that must grow and those who have been justified and who have that title this will be a mark of them they will seek to grow in holiness the robe of holiness to be there and to be cleansed ongoingly the standing gives you your title to glory but the character, the beauty of the character the sanctifying beauty of the character will give you fitness for heaven. You must have the two. The one gives you your title, the other gives you the fitness for the enjoyment of it. And if you don't have if you don't have the fitness for the enjoyment of it, well isn't that what use is that? Or oh, to be close to Christ day by day drawing out of his fullness seeking to be adorned more and more with that beauty that has been begun in the life of the believer through regeneration and must continue ongoingly in his life in a program of sanctification ongoingly seeking to walk in his precepts yes and as we have said Making sure that we're seeking not to be caught on the reefs of antinomianism or the reefs of legalism with that prayer to be kept and to be realising ongoingly where he has begun the good work. His faithfulness. It's his salvation from beginning to end. Looking unto him that we might not just be beginners but persevere in his grace and isn't he worthy now we read that in the night in which he was betrayed he took bread and break it and said this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after he had supped, took the cup, saying, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. As soft as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you to show the Lord's death until he comes. in the same psalm that we have just read looked at psalm 45 verse 15 with gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought they shall enter into the king's palace. Throughout scripture, we have this marriage by which the church is known as the the Lamb's Bride, the Bride of Christ, spoken of as a betrothal. That betrothal is when the believer closes in with Christ first by faith. And it's also spoken of as the consummation of the marriage, and that is when we have persevered to the end, when we have been brought home, and especially on the great day of the resurrection. When the church, the believing church, the bride of Christ in her totality, would be brought to be by his side to enter into the king's palace forevermore. There is a difference between the time of the betrothal and the time of the consummation. Just notice one or two note one or two of them. The time of the betrothal was in secret, like um, Joseph making himself known to the brethren, just himself and the brothers present. All others, all Egyptians, all others were put out. It's Christ and the believer, Christ and the sinner relating with one another, Christ relating to us and making himself known to us. whose blood covers our sins the consummation of the marriage is going to be public in full sight of everything they shall be openly acquitted and brought into the full enjoyment of God It shall be a triumphant entry into glory. Their enemies, sin, death, and Satan will have been crushed under their feet and they will be brought in. They will be welcomed into glory. The angelic hosts will desire their admittance. There will be no envy. And they shall enter into glory forevermore. And a triumphant, public, eternal admission into that glory. The Lamb's bride with the exalted Lord forevermore to begin is wonderful to persevere to the end or to seek grace to go on day by day there are those who we now miss who have been with us whose paths have crossed our paths on the way but they have gone home And they wouldn't come back. Or that we would be among those who persevere to the end. We know not what a day may bring forth. We know not when we sit at this table on earth for for, for the last time or not. But all things are in his hands. What gracious hands to be in. We conclude, we we, we will seek to stir ourselves up as the psalmist does in Psalm 103, rising from the table with his words, Without mouth, and we trust his grace in our hearts. O thou, my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is be stirred up. Magnify his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless O oh my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. from one to five, who with abundance of good things to satisfy thy mouth, so that even as the eagle's age renew it is thy youth, O oh thou my soul.
1: O Thou, my son
0: In we thank Thee that Thou hast enabled us once more to be present with Thy people at Thy table here on earth to remember our Saviour touring death in a Roman place. And we thank thee that nothing has broken in upon us to distract us from uh, the consideration and remembrance of what we are about. We thank thee For the one who makes intercession for us, who became dead in our natures, but who is risen, triumphant over sin, death, and Satan, the ever-living one who loves now to bestow upon his people what he has died to win for them. The one who is able to say as none others, my peace I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We pray thy blessing upon the congregation. We pray that thou would help us to go on bearing one another's burdens, encouraging and exalting one another in the way, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, seeking at the throne of grace that no distractions would stand in the way. We pray thy blessing upon those who have not been present, not been able to be present with us here this day at thy table. We pray that thou Grant them the enabling and the strength to be closed in with the free offer of gospel reconciliation that is made to us as sinners in Christ. For the art saying, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters and drink. Enable us, enable enable them to enter into the privilege, enter into into the responsibility also of making choice of Christ. If they could truly say, Thou my sure portion art alone, which I did choose, O Lord. We pray that Thou would take us home of so nice us in the light of all that we have been about. And let not the enemy filch away from us anything that has been good. And we ask it with the pardon of our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. We close in, in Psalm one hundred, Psalm Psalm seventy two, and the last three verses, as is customary.
1: <laughs>
0: His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall, men shall be blessed in him, and blessed all nations shall him call. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel, for he alone doth wondrous works in glory and excel, and blessed be his glorious name to all eternity, the whole earth let his glory fill. Amen, and so let it be. His name forever shall endure.
1: His name forever shall endure. Last night.
0: the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit the Comforter, rest on and remain with you. Amen.